I live pretty uh, fly by the seat of my pants um, because I can. I'm not married. So. Praise the Lord. I love being here. I have loved being here with you all, and uh, I appreciate everybody that's here tonight. Appreciate Brother Marquis coming. And uh, I was talking to somebody just last night. Uh, don't you appreciate this couple over here? I know, I know he's taking one of your church members, I know, but you can still appreciate them. And I just was talking to somebody, and they, they had brought it up or something, and I said, man, they're going to be a power couple. And I don't know either one of you well, but I've watched you in services, and I see a couple of ministry-minded people. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. I appreciate all of you here tonight. And I, I believe God's going to move on us, move for us. Um, and it just kind of dawned on me in service last night. In fact, I think I may have said it last night when I got up the pulpit. I know what I'm going to preach tomorrow. Um, and I was more sure yesterday about what I was going to preach today than what I preached to you last night. Um, so this is, this is something that I know God dealt with me about in, in my studies and things. And I'll just be honest. Now, I felt, I felt liberty to preach it in a couple other places. But I am convinced the only reason I was able to preach it somewhere else is so I could practice it for you all, okay? Now, don't tell those other people that. And I've watched other people get some help. But I'm fully convinced, Brother Jeffries, that when God dealt with me about this, that it was, it was for your church. And it's been, it's been a while now. It's been a while now. And uh, so I'll talk to you about that here in a few minutes. But I'm going to try to sing again. And I just want you all to, to help me sing. Praise the Lord. And uh, how many of you know that the Lord, He is good. And His mercy endureth forever and ever to all generations. So I will stand up and sing praise, hallelujah, for I know the Lord is good. Amen. Do you all know that song? If you know it, help me sing tonight. And uh, probably key of G this time. Is that one as good as F? Okay, all right. We'll, we'll try the key of G. Praise the Lord. Will the Lord, He is good, and His mercy endureth forever and ever to all generations. So I will stand up and sing praise, hallelujah, for I know the Lord. He is good. Well, the Lord is good, and His mercy endureth forever and ever to all generations. So I will stand up and sing praise, hallelujah. For I know the Lord is good. Well, He reached down and He touched me. When I was so low, I could not get up or go down any farther. And my sins, which were many, he forgave and forgot them and i know the lord is good amen well the lord he is good and his mercy endureth forever and ever to all generations so I will stand up and sing praise, hallelujah, for I know the Lord is good. Listen to this. Well, I was sick in my body, and I could not get well. Those doctors, they had told me all they could tell and then the great the great physician will he pass by my way let me tell you the lord is good 
and ever to all generations so I will stand up and sing praise hallelujah for I know the Lord is good oh well he reached down and he touched me when I was so low I could not get up or go down any farther and my sins which were many he forgave and forgot them let me tell you the Lord is good oh the Lord he is good and his mercy endureth forever and ever to all generations so I will stand up and sing praise hallelujah for I know the Lord Amen. Do you know that tonight? Were you aware of that? I'm sure you were before I ever said anything about it. Amen. But that's easy to talk about. That's easy to sing about. How good is he? Well, that's the easiest subject and the hardest subject to explain. Because I can do it all day, but I can never do it fully. I can never do it fully. Amen. He is good. And I'm thankful he's good, aren't you? If he wasn't good, I wouldn't serve him. Everything about him is good. Everything he does is good. Amen. Even the things that, that, that have a bad connotation, words sometimes, judgment has a bad connotation sometimes. When he judges, he does it right, and he has the right to do it. Amen. He is just, and he is righteous, and his judgment is good. Amen. His correction and his punishment, it's good for me, isn't it? Is it good for you? Praise the Lord. I know that he's good. Hallelujah. Thank you all for helping me sing. And uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34, but I won't tell you what verse yet because you'll stand up and I'm not ready for you to do that yet. Okay? Psalm 34. Hallelujah. I got to study this psalm. It's been, it's been a few months ago now, but I, I uh, needed to study for a Sunday school class. Let me switch microphones here. Testing, testing. Praise the Lord. Can you hear me? I can hear me. All right. So I got to study for a Sunday school class and it kind of come a preteen group that we had at our church. And I wanted to just follow suit with what they had already been learning. And uh, they had been studying Psalm 34. Uh, so some of that is going to come. Some of what I tell you tonight is, is going to come from study that I had months ago. And, uh, and at least part of that was just for you all here tonight that drew me to this chapter and things. I believe that with all my heart. Um, and before I, before I continue, I'm really bad at, at preliminaries sometimes, but thank you all again for being good to me. And it means, it means the world to me. And I've not, I've not been anywhere that's just treated me bad, okay? I, I'm not saying that. Everybody's been very good to me. Um, but not everybody's been as good as you all. Maybe that was still in the microphone. You just cover it for effect. Preachers don't really care whether it's in the microphone or not. We just do that for some dramatic effect. Um, but you all have been very good to me, and, uh, and I sure do appreciate it. And my back is feeling better. I, I spent a little more time upside down today, Brother Joel, and, uh, and I, I just, now, I can't touch my toes, uh, but I don't know that I could do that before my back started hurting either. It's been a while. So, but I, I mean, I, I feel better. I told your pastor, if I take off running, please still pray for me till I'm done. Uh, but I think I could almost do it tonight. So, so I've, uh, uh, you all praying and, and me uh, using, using the things that have been supplied for me. Thank you again for the, the TENS unit. And uh, something I can hook up while I'm driving because that's when it hurts the most, seems like. Or that's when it, it hurts the most when I get done driving. So maybe I can use that while I drive so it won't be as bad when I'm done. Um, but thank you all for for helping me with 
everything, everything. I, I, I would, if I needed something, I, I wouldn't feel bad about asking here at this church. And uh, I just feel a lot of liberty in every way. And that's good because where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I'm thankful for the liberty I feel tonight. And uh, I feel liberty to preach this message, and I have felt liberty to preach it in other places. But I have not felt led to preach it like I, like I did, even starting from last, before last night's service. Um, God was dealing with me about tonight, and I've watched Him bless you all. And uh, I've felt Him blessing me. You know, God can bless the evangelist too in the middle of the church that He's at getting blessed, and I'm thankful for that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you all get blessed again tonight. And I feel, like, I feel like this is just for you all. And I'm thankful for safe haven. Amen. Uh, Psalm 34, uh, you'll notice, uh, again, don't stand yet. My, my text is just going to be part of a verse. I know that's, that's the unpardonable sin, just using part of a verse, all right? But I'm not pulling it out of context, so it'll be okay. Uh, but this Psalm 34, you'll, you'll notice some things about the Psalms many times. Brother Jeffries, they're going to have a heading above them. And sometimes you have more information than others. Some of them don't have that heading at all. Uh, in fact, I've got, a, I've got a Russian English Bible up here. And in the Russian Bible, they actually include that heading in the first verse. That's part of the verse. And when you read that heading, sometimes you'll notice it says a Psalm of David. But if you read, if you read this Psalm's heading, it'll say a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. And, and when I studied for this, uh, for this psalm, for that Sunday school class that I was going to cover for Brother Jeffries, uh, what, I wanted to cover something I didn't think they'd already went over. I didn't want to repeat. So I wanted to take and find where this psalm came from. What period of, of David's life did he write this psalm in? And, and I began to find out, and, and using that information there, he, he changed his behavior before Abimelech. And that reminds me of a story where David changed his behavior before a man. And you'll find that story in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 21 is where you'll find the story. And then chapter number 22 is, is David's period of time when he's writing this psalm. But in chapter number 21, it starts out with David and he's running for his life. Like it seems like so much of his story was spent. He's running for his life. Amen. He does it before he is king, and then he has to do it, run from his son after he's king. Isn't that right? And so we find David running for his life, not from his son here in this chapter, but it's from King Saul. And David has opportunities to overtake Saul and kill Saul, but he knows that Saul is anointed by God. And even with Saul's hatred for David, David loves Saul, and he will not take Saul's life. And so he just tries to get away from him. And I, I can understand that being a hard position. I've never, never exactly feared for my life in that way, okay? I've never felt like that somebody was after me to come and, and to get me. I've never had that experience. Uh, but I can imagine the stress that that might put on somebody, okay? So David's under a lot of pressure right now. And you'll find him in chapter number 21 before he ever gets to the man named Abimelech. He's in front of a priest who is not Abimelech, but his name is Ahimelech, he's a priest, and, and David comes to him, and David says, well, I'm on a mission from Saul. And what David is wanting, he's wanting some, he's wanting some bread to eat. And, uh, and that's, that's funny to me now, you may realize by the end of the sermon. But David is wanting some bread to eat. He needs something, he needs some sustenance. He needs something to eat, needs some water to drink. He, he's running for his life. And, but instead of just telling this priest what's going on, he lies to him. You notice that. I'm on a mission for Saul. That's not what's going on at all, David. You are fleeing from Saul. And David, under this immense pressure and under this stress, amen, he, he, he lies and he takes this situation into his own hands like all of us are guilty of doing at one time or another. Everybody can relate to a story like this. Well, I, I just don't know what to do. And, and for whatever reason, uh, although I have an almighty God who's more than capable, amen, of taking care of whatever situation I'm in, I want to reach out and grab that situation and draw it back to me. And then I want to take care of it because I know how it's going to go. And I know, oh, come on now. I know what I can do. I know how to handle this. And 
We have such confidence in ourselves that is absolutely not merited because God can take care of it better than we can. But even King David here, this great man, he's a man after God's own heart. It's encouraging to know that and then read about David's mistakes for us because we've made mistakes, all right? But even this great man, and he was a great man. I'm not taking away from that. We like to pick at people's flaws, don't we? It's the flaws that always stand out. I know David was a great man, but he lies to the priest. My God never deals in deceit. That is never His plan. There are no exceptions to thou shalt not lie. There just aren't any. Thou shalt not lie. You don't deceive somebody. Amen? You don't do that with your words. And then later in that chapter, we'll find David doing it with his actions. And you can say, well, he didn't, he didn't lie, right? Well, he didn't lie with his words, okay? But he lied with his actions because you find him before a man called Abimelech here in Psalms, in this psalm that we're going to tonight. But in, in the book of 1 Samuel, he is called Achish. And he's the king of a city called Gath. Do you remember anybody else from a city called Gath? His name was Goliath. Goliath of Gath. The champion of the Philistines. Do you remember the interaction between David and Goliath? I'm sure you do. If anybody, if, if, if somebody's going to know a Bible story, it's going to be David and Goliath. And David slew the champion of the Philistines. And then I don't know, I don't know what possessed David. I don't know if he got turned around or, or what, what drew him to that city. Amen. But he goes into the one city that he probably should have stayed away from. All right. If he's got enemies anywhere, he's going to have enemies in Gath. This is where Goliath is from. This is where he's going to find his family. This is where he's going to find Philistines and the king of that city who would have been well acquainted with Goliath. Somebody comes and says, well, David's here. We found David. And he wants David brought to him. This is the king Achish. Here he's called Abimelech. That's not too strange, is it? You probably have two different names. My name is James. You didn't know that. Don't call me that because I won't know who you're talking to. I go by Carson, all right? So his name is Achish, but sometimes he goes by Abimelech, apparently. But this king of Gath wants David. And so they go and they get David. And David does the same thing he does earlier in chapter number 21 of 1 Samuel. And he takes the situation into his own hands. And this is where David changes his behavior. And he begins to act like a madman. The Bible says he feigned himself mad. Do you remember that phrase? He begins to spit, run down his mouth and off of his beard. He begins to scrabble on the walls. David acts like he's absolutely lost his mind. And I want to tell you, in a way, David has lost his mind because apparently he doesn't think God can bring him out of this. And so David takes things into his own hand again. So we've got chapter number 21. That's a chapter of failure for David. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe in comparison to some of his other failures, these just pale in comparison, okay? But he's lying. He's acting in deceit. And that's not God's plan for David. Because that's not God's plan for anybody. This time of failure for David. The king of Gath looks at him and says, I don't have time for anybody like this. He's not a threat anymore. Oh, look, it worked, but it still wasn't God's plan. That's still not God. God could have delivered David out of that city. He could have smote every one of the Philistines under the power of the Spirit of God, couldn't he have? Amen. But David, David gets away, probably realizing his failure. I've lied. I've deceived these people, even my enemies. I shouldn't lie to them. Amen. And David finds himself in a cave called Adullam. And I want to read you the circumstances that David is in after this time of failure. And this is, this, these are the circumstances that this psalm comes out of. And you would think when you read it, Brother Jeffries, you would think it came out of a good place. This psalm is so encouraging when I read it. Amen. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David says, my soul shall make her boast. In the Lord, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And he looks at the people that are around him and he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. That's how this, those are the first three verses of this psalm. It looks like it came out of a good place, but it didn't. Let me read this to you. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. 
That's where David writes this psalm. That's where this psalm comes out of. When he looks at them and he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, you would think he would be looking at people who just really have it going for them. You'd think he'd be looking at a group of people who were just encouraged in the Lord, rip-roaring, ready to go, but he's not. He's looking at people, how were they described? Well, they're, they're in distress, they're in debt, and they're discontented. They're not happy, they don't have any money. Uh, let me tell you something, I worked in a cave for a little bit. I can tell you something about living in a cave. If you live in a cave, it's because you don't have anywhere else to go. These people owe more money than they will ever be able to pay back. Some of these people are hiding in that cave with David because they feared for their lives just like David does. And the only person they have to rule over them is David, a person in the same situation or maybe even a worse situation than they're in. And that's when David writes this psalm. It's not when everything's going okay, amen. It's not to a people who feel like they deserve anything. You can imagine discontented, in debt, don't have anywhere else to go. I can imagine these people, they don't feel like they have anything to offer. They owe so much and they can't give it. But instead of asking of them, that's not what God does to them. Would you all stand for me? Psalm 34 and just the first part of verse number 8, you probably quote it, amen? It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David does not write this to a group of people who feel like they deserve it, but he writes this to a group of people that don't feel like they deserve anything. They've lost their homes. They've lost their families. They can't provide for one another anymore. They don't feel like they deserve this, but it's not about what they deserve. David writes and he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Before you sit down, let's do what we've been doing. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. We can pray for one another. Hallelujah. Lord God of heaven, we worship you. We believe you, God, to help us tonight. I know you'll bring us to an altar like you have every night, God of heaven. Let it not just be my invitation, but let it be your invitation, Lord, to this group of people that brings us to an altar. Lord, make us tonight to taste and see how good you really are. Remind us, Lord, how good you really are, Lord Jesus. You've offered yourself to us. Have your way with us tonight. Help us, Lord, to partake, to feel the liberty, Lord, to take of you, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We pray in your name, by your power, and for your glory. And everybody says, Amen. I got handed a couple of pictures colored for me last night, and then I got another one tonight from Brother Stinkbug, and uh, I'm going to keep these. These are special to me. Um, if the kids really like you, they're not pretending. You generally know what kids think about you. Do you know that? If you think I'm fat, I may never know. But if your four-year-old thinks I'm fat, he'll make me aware of it. Isn't that right? That makes me feel better to know these kids really like me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David's in this cave. That's when he writes this psalm. That's the situation that this psalm comes out of. These people don't feel like they have anything to offer. I think it's pretty plain to see that in the situation that they're in. And I just wanted to go over that tonight before we got into this. And uh, this is a little bit different. Uh, what I like to do when I preach Brother Jeffrey's is I like to take, take a text, and I just like to preach my way through that text. That's, that's what I like to do. That's how I'm comfortable doing it. Um, I usually take my title from the text. A lot of the time, that's what I've done tonight. My title is our text. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But I want to take this idea, amen, of people who don't feel like they have anything to offer. People who owe so much, but instead of being asked of, they are given to. Amen. And I want to I look at some other people tonight, just like these people in this cave, just like these people that you and I can relate to. I want to talk about some people who probably felt like they didn't have anything to offer. So I'm going to jump around in some places, and I'm not going to read necessarily in those places until we get to the very end. I've got one more place I'll read from. But the first place I'll go, and I'll tell you where it is. You don't have to follow me, but the first place 
Uh, I want to find the story is in Luke chapter number 15. These are probably going to be pretty familiar stories, all right, at least a couple of them. And this is the story of the prodigal son. And we're, we're aware of that story, aren't we? We've heard it preached from countless times and I never get tired of hearing it preached from because it's like every time there's a sermon out of that, I get something just a little bit different, amen? It's almost like this word is alive or something. Somebody ought to write that down somewhere, huh? I believe the Word of God is quick and powerful, and I believe it's sharper than any two-edged sword, amen? I believe it will be tonight for us. So in Luke chapter number 15, we're going to find the story of the prodigal son, and you know that story well. He wants all of his inheritance he doesn't want to wait till his father's gone. If he waits longer, he'll get more, all right? But he wants what he has, and he wants it right now, and the father loves his son. And so he gives his son what he wants. On a side note, God is very, very intent on giving us the desires of our hearts when we make them plain to him, even when it's something we shouldn't want. And that doesn't mean he won't fight us on it. That doesn't mean He won't try to steer us away, but He will eventually give us what we want. Amen? Amen? Those people that are, that are going to wind up in that awful place called hell someday, it's ultimately because that's what they wanted. They wanted separation from the King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't want that. What about you? Uh, but this father gives his son exactly what he wants, takes all that inheritance, gives it to him, and he goes into the far country. And that right, a place that he's not familiar with, he should have just stayed home. He'd have been a lot better off, amen? But he goes and he wastes, he wastes all that he has on riotous living. Isn't that what the story says? And, and, and he, he's got plenty of friends as long as he's got plenty of money. But when the money's gone, the friends are too, all right? We probably experienced some of that, amen? And so he spends all of his money on riotous living, and when he can't throw the parties, and he can't buy the booze, and he can't pay for the food anymore, all his friends start to trickle away, and he finds himself all alone in a place where he thought he knew some people, but he didn't really know how they were, or he wouldn't have been spending any time with them in the first place. He probably thought some of those people would still be there for him, Brother Jeffries, but when it's all said and done, they're nowhere to be found, amen? You'll find out who your friends are, isn't that right? And he goes and he joins himself to a citizen of that far country. And this citizen has some pigs and, and he's got a job feeding the pigs. And, and he's not making any money from what I understand. If he is, it's not very much. And, and, and all he's getting is just enough food to keep himself alive. And the Bible says that, that he comes to himself. Do you remember that type of phrasing in that story? He just sits down and he begins to think about what's really going on. He comes to himself. And, and he thinks back to the father's house, Brother Marquis, and he says, my father has so many servants, and he's able to provide for all those servants, and even with how many servants he has, they have more food than I have now. The Bible says that he wanted to eat what those pigs were eating. That's a pretty rough place to be if you've ever seen pig slop, y'all. That's not a place that I want to find myself. And so this son decides and he talks himself through it. Well, I'm going to go home and, and, and I'm going to get to my father. And when I see him, I'm going to apologize for everything I've done. I don't expect to be called his son anymore. I just want to be one of his servants. That's his plan. And you and I already know what happens. I feel silly even telling this story because it's so well known. But he goes to the father and the father sees him coming down the road. Amen. That tells me the father's been waiting on him. The father's had some hope. Amen. Ever since he's been gone, the father's been looking for him to come back. Aren't you glad the father didn't give up on you? Amen. And when the father sees him, this, this dignified, uh, wealthy Middle Eastern man, he didn't, he didn't button his top button and stand there with a smug look on his face like, I think he should have and waited for his son to crawl up on his hands and knees. That's not what happened. But the father ran to the son. Isn't that right? When he sees him coming down the road. And that's what the father did for us. Amen. He saw us coming and he ran to us. He wraps his arms around his son's neck. Father, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. And before he can even finish his apology, this story that he'd worked through, probably repeated it to himself all the way there, Brother Jeffries, because he wanted to get his apology just right. He defended his father so bad. Oh, he's going to hate me. He's gonna... But that's not true. The father still loves that son, that rebellious son, that son that walked away. And this son is coming back with absolutely nothing. He went away with so much. 
You would think he would have something left when he got back, but he had absolutely nothing to offer the Father. But it's not about what the Son has to offer the Father. It's about what the Father has to offer the Son. Amen? So there in that story in Luke chapter number 15, the Father looks at Him. Amen? He doesn't ask, what do you have left? He doesn't ask, what do you have to offer me? Because it's not about that. But one of the things He says, He looks at His Son. He says, let us eat and be merry. Amen? He's looking at the Son. And He says, let us eat and be merry. This Son that has nothing to offer. This Son that feels so undeserving. This Son that knows He's messed up. Amen. This Son that didn't expect it from the Father. But the Father says, I don't expect anything from you, but I've got something to give you. Amen. Let us eat and be merry. And this prodigal son finds a, finds a feast at the Father's house. Brother Jeffries, there's plenty of food on the table. He, he's not eating the servant's food. Amen. He's not even, the, even eating the normal food that the Father would eat. But there's a special feast just for Him. Just because He's come home. And He's not given just a little bit, but He's given exceeding abundantly above all that He could ask or think. What about that? Hallelujah. Let us eat and be merry is the answer from the Father to the prodigal son. And if we go back a little bit, I, I, I like to keep things in order too usually when I... When I'm in the Bible, I like to tell the stories in order that they come. But we're moving backwards tonight. It's a little bit different, okay? If we move backward, amen, we can go back to the book of 2 Samuel. And in chapter number 9, he appears before this, but in chapter number 9, you'll find a, a man named Mephibosheth. You remember Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, when he was just a little baby. Now, this is the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. And when Mephibosheth was just a little baby, he had a nurse that was taking care of him and, and, and something was going on and that nurse had to run away. She had to flee. And when she did, she had that baby in her arms and I don't know what happened. I don't know if she tripped. I don't, I don't know exactly what went on. But she dropped that little baby Mephibosheth and it messed him up. It messed up his legs. I don't know if it was his legs or maybe it, maybe it messed up his back. But from that point on, he was crippled. The Bible says he was lame on his feet and he couldn't walk anywhere. So from that point on, if Mephibosheth needed to go somewhere, uh, he had to have somebody take him there. And for the most part, if he needed something done, he had to get somebody to do it for him. He couldn't work a normal job and make his own money. He needed somebody to provide for him. Amen? That's the kind of shape Mephibosheth is in. And David wants to see Mephibosheth. You see, he's looking to see if there's anybody left of the house of Saul, God has pronounced judgment on the house of Saul, and, and He knows how to do it right. And almost everybody's gone out of that family. Uh, but He finds out there's, there's still a man left. It's the son of Jonathan, who was David's best friend. You don't find a friendship like a Jonathan and David friendship very often. If you do, you better hang on to it, alright? But Jonathan's life was taken. I'm sure David was upset about that. So I'm sure he's excited when he finds out that Jonathan had a son. And he, he's wanting to find the rest of the family of Saul, not for the normal reasons that a new king would want to find the old king's family. Because it was customary in those days when one king took over a country, he would find the rest of the old king's family and absolutely slaughter them. That way there was no danger of anybody ever taking the throne from him. There was no danger of that old king's family rising up and they're being mutiny and, and, and overtaking the new family that's taken over. But that's not what David wants. He wants somebody from the house of Saul, the Bible says, so that he might show kindness. He might show kindness unto them. God's people are just different, aren't they? And I'm glad we're different. We're supposed to be, hey man, peculiar, different people. And so uh, he sins, and, and the Bible, I, I find it funny, it actually says that he fetches Mephibosheth. He can't just sin from Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth come on his own, but somebody's got to bring a cart, and then somebody's got to go into the house where Mephibosheth is and pick him up because he can't walk by himself. Then they've got to carry him to the cart and lay him in the cart, and they've got to take him to the king because he can't go there on his own. That's pretty bad shape, isn't it? And we, we've got some technology and things that can remedy some of that in this day and age. They didn't. They didn't. 
You can imagine how Mephibosheth might feel. Somebody as lowly as him, amen, somebody with his status, and even the family that he's been a part of, overthrown now, he probably feels even lower. And we can tell how he feels because of his response to David. He looks at the king and he says, What is thy servant? that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am. Amen. A dead dog is what he calls himself. That's how Mephibosheth feels about himself. He looks at himself in the presence of the king and he says, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to give to you. I can't earn this treatment that you're giving me. Amen. But he responds to David in that way after David points at him and he says, Thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Amen. We're going to feed you, Mephibosheth. It's not about what you have to offer me, but it's about what I have to offer you. Aren't you thankful for that here tonight? Thou shalt eat bread at my table. The same bread I eat. The same bread my sons eat. Amen. He is treating him like he's one of his own sons. Amen. Thou shalt eat bread at my table. The best food. The king's food. That's what you're fed, Mephibosheth. Not some lowly means of sustenance. No. But the king's bread. What the king drinks, you'll drink. What the king's eat. Amen. That's what you're going to eat. Amen. Thou shalt eat bread at my table. How often? Continually. Every time there's a meal. Every time there's food available, Mephibosheth, we're going to send somebody to your room. I know you can't get there on your own. I know you can't come on your own. But there's going to be somebody knocking on your door. Mephibosheth, it's breakfast. Do you want any breakfast this morning? Mephibosheth, it's lunchtime. Do you want any lunch? This afternoon, oh, we've got a little snack before dinner. They must have been holiness people. That's how I'm painting. They eat a lot, all right? We've got a little snack before dinner. Uh, do, do, you want, do you want a little snack before, before... It'll be a while before dinner's ready. And then at dinner, Mephibosheth, do, do you want us to carry you to the table? There's a seat for you at the table, at the king's table, Mephibosheth, with the king's sons right next to the king. Amen. There's a seat for you at the king's table. Thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Hallelujah. Mephibosheth. And then we go back, and, and, and this, is, this is really where some of this started. Well, I guess it started with Psalm, Psalm 34. Um, but what began me putting all of this together was chapter number 21 of Leviticus. I told you Leviticus had become one of my favorite books, and we're in there again tonight. What do you know? And in Leviticus chapter number 21, you're going to find a, a, a family the sons of Aaron, but they're split up into two separate groups. And this is, uh, much of the Levitical law had to do with the priesthood and the Levites. That's why it's called Leviticus, the Levites. And so those that were performing uh, the services of the tabernacle, and later on it would be the temple, and those that would carry the ark, and things. it was a description of all of those services and how you were supposed to go about them. Very strict laws. Amen. Very, uh, very, very detailed instructions in that book, Brother Jeffries. And so in Leviticus 21, you're going to find the sons of Aaron uh, who would be taking the priesthood. The priesthood was given to them, and they would be the priests, I was going to say forever, but we're under a high priest after the order of Melchizedek now. But until things changed in the New Testament, you had a high priest after the order of Aaron. So you've got this high priest, and then even the priests under him, they had to be from the family of Aaron. And it split up into two groups. The first group you read about in Leviticus 21 are going to be the, I'll call them the unblemished sons of Aaron. Because these priests, especially the high priest, they had to be perfect. So you've got this, this perfect group of people with an even more perfect man that's over them. But they were men, just like you and I. They were just people. And so they couldn't go with perfection on the inside because they knew it wasn't there. In that way, Brother Jeffries, the sons of Aaron were no different than any other family in the children of Israel. They all had those inward imperfections and they didn't have a way to remedy that. They didn't have a way, amen, to, to take care of that. So they had to go with the outward perfection. And so they would look at them and, and, and they couldn't have any 
blemishes. Use your imagination, all right? And, and there, we, we have a description given. Uh, some of them are going to have broken hands and broken feet. Some of these things called blemishes, they're, they're very real disabilities that are plain to see. But then you have things uh, like flat noses. That's not going to affect somebody's life. They just look a little different than everybody else. And what's going to happen, if I, if I understand this right, if you're one of the sons of Aaron and you're going to be part of the priesthood, you're going to have to come to that high priest and, and, and just to be honest with you, if there's something about you that looks a little bit too different, even one of the words used is superfluous. You know what that means? It's just something that stands out. It doesn't even have to be a bad thing. It doesn't even have to look bad. But if your nose is a little bigger, or your ears are a little smaller, it doesn't have to be a serious disability. But anything that He's going to call a blemish, He can look at you and say, I'm sorry, you don't have any part of that because the priests are going to be perfect. Are you encouraged yet? Because immediately when I read this, I begin to think about all my blemishes. I begin to think about all my imperfections. And that takes us to the second group. You've got the unblemished sons of Aaron. And then Brother Marquis, you've got the blemished sons of Aaron too. These people that they've got something wrong with them. And I'll just be honest, this preacher identifies more with the people who look at themselves and say, I've got something wrong with me let alone outward perfection. Let's look deep down on the inside. Oh, I've got something wrong with me. And, and these people, it, it would have been hard to sit and listen to all of this law being preached. It would be hard to sit and listen to all of this law being given to them because those blemished sons of Aaron, they're made to feel like they have absolutely no part in this, you understand, and, and uh, they're, they're told, you don't come near my altar, you don't even look at my veil, and I know that's Moses telling them, okay, but it's coming straight from heaven, it's coming from Almighty God, amen, coming from the Most High God, He's the one that gets to make the rules, and He's looking at, at these people who probably feel pretty sorry anyway, because they know they've got something wrong with them, it's not something they can even help, they know about their disabilities, they know know about their blemishes come on now anybody relate to that and he's looking at that these people and he's saying you don't have any part in this you don't have any part in this that'd be hard to take wouldn't it and I, I called I called my friend Simeon Denton I guess he's been here too with y'all he's, he's one of my best friends just don't tell him I said that okay but he he graduated with me from free gospel graduated in my class he was my vice president of my class when we graduated and uh, I love him, pray for him. He's getting married May 13th. And uh, God still does miracles. Praise the Lord. I only say that because it gives this man hope. Hallelujah. And, uh, but Simeon teaches the tabernacle class up there at Free Gospel. So if I'm going to preach something uh, particularly out of the book of Leviticus, because that's where a lot of his teaching takes place, I like to call him and just talk to him, run these things by him, because I want to make sure I have it right uh, unless we disagree, in which case he's wrong. Okay, but I called him and I was talking about these unblemished sons of Aaron and these blemished sons of Aaron. And I'm talking about how, man, they don't have any part in this. They're not allowed to... And I, I preached another message that went a little bit different way. And, and Simeon's listening on the phone. And he says, yeah, that's good. That's good. Amen. But why don't you look in verse number 22. You know what that says? He shall eat the bread of his God. And it's actually sandwiched in between two other verses, making it very clear to them that they don't have anything to do with the priesthood, but they're still able to eat the bread of their God. So the same bread that is going to be fed to the unblemished sons of Aaron, those perfect people, the people who probably brought on jealousy in the imperfect people, the same bread that they were going to eat was going to be fed, amen, to the blemished sons of Aaron, You've got to understand these people are looking at their father and their brother and their son and their uncle and their brother-in-law and all, all of their family is able to do this work, but because their nose or their eyes or their ears or their feet look a little different, they've got an extra toe or they're missing a finger, something's wrong with them. I don't, I don't, I don't have any part. I can't do what they do. I can't say what they say. I don't have a part in that service. But when everybody comes home, they all sit at the same table. And they eat the same food. And they drink the same water. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. The same, the same sustenance. 
that is given, amen, to those people that they're so jealous of, they get to eat the same thing. They get to drink the same thing. Are you all with me here tonight? Hallelujah. We do it too. It looks a little bit different for us. We go, I wish I could play piano. I wish I could sing. I wish I could preach. Huh? And, and, and then even the ones that are able to do some of those things, just remember if you ever get jealous of anybody, they have to battle that with somebody who can do it better than them. I look at men, often men who, because comparing yourselves amongst yourselves is a really wise thing to do, right? <clears throat> I look at men, preaching men, anointed men, and I'll be honest, there are times I go, I wish I could preach like that. I wish I could sing like that. And you do it too, don't you? But they're fed the same food that I am fed. From the same one that feeds them, I am fed. And the same hand that reaches down to give to them, Brother Jeffries, is the hand that reaches down to give to me. Amen. When I realize my imperfections, and we have to do it, we're faced with it sometimes. When I realize my blemishes, amen, and when you do that too, just remember, you get to eat the same food as everybody else. They don't get any better than you, and you don't get any worse than them. Amen. They shall eat the bread of their God, was told to the blemished. Sons of Aaron, you see the bread of your God is not granted because of ability, nor is it withheld because of a lack thereof. It is simply given, it is freely given, and it is equally given. It is given to both those who can and to those who cannot. To those who are able and to those who are not able. And to those who have and to those who have not. Now I'm not talking about people who will not, that's a different story. I'm not talking about people who aren't willing, but I'm talking about people who don't have the ability that somebody else might have. I want everybody in this place to understand that it's not held against you. And just because somebody can do something that you can't do, they're not put on a pedestal because of that. Because my God is no respecter of persons. And He loves one of us just like He loves another. The same love, the same hand, the same bread, the same sustenance, the same provision is available for every one of us. It's available for every one of us. It's just up to us to accept it. I preached about at the Last Supper, you've got, you've got one of the apostles, John. You find John leaning on the breast of Christ. Somebody might look at that and say, well, there's, there's a preference there. No, 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 my God's no respecter of persons. It's not because Jesus preferred John. What you see there is John preferring Jesus. You understand that? Any one of the apostles could lean on the breast of Christ. Judas, even that night could have come to him and laid on his breast, but he didn't. Amen. I'd like to lean on his breast. I'd like to take what's been made available unto me. Isn't that right? You shall eat the bread of your God. Amen. You can't earn it, but you can eat it. You can't pay for it, but you can partake of it. And you'll never deserve it, but you can devour it. Amen. That's for everybody in this place. Why don't you stand with me here tonight? I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. I've been talking about people who feel like they have nothing to offer. And I know there's people in this place tonight, you come to God and you feel like you have nothing to offer. I know that's the case. God dealt with me about this weeks and weeks ago, and it was for this church. You feel like you have nothing to offer. But it's not about what you have to offer Him. It's about what He has to offer you. And just like the prodigal son there's a feast for you in the Father's house. Amen? Just like Mephibosheth, there's a seat for you at the king's table. And just like those blemished sons of Aaron who feel just like you do, sometimes I don't have anything to offer. That doesn't matter. He shall eat the bread of his God. And God was pointing at those blemished sons of Aaron when He said that, but tonight He's pointing to you. He shall eat the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God. She shall eat the bread of her God. Amen. It's for everybody in this place. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for the bread of your God? Let me tell you. Let me describe to you the bread of your God. We find a description in John chapter number 6. Jesus Christ is talking. He says, I am that bread of life. 
That's the bread of your God. Amen. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead because there is no bread like this bread. Amen. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, listen to me, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Amen. He's the bread. He's the bread. We've been singing that song, Brother Jeffries. That's when it dawned on me last night. I don't know why I, I waited till the last night, but this is a good way to close out because this is the theme. Isn't that right? What's that song? Lord, I'm hungry for a mighty move of God. Lord, I'm thirsty, so pour out your Holy Ghost. Lord, I want to see the hand of God move mightily inside of me, hungry for a mighty move of God. He that hungered and thirst after righteousness shall be left wanting. No, that's not what that says. He shall be filled. I just wonder, is there anybody here tonight that's hungry? This is the last night, y'all. I'm still hungry, and I've seen God move on y'all. But I'm hungry for a mighty move of God in this place tonight. And I came to tell some people, and we have all felt this way at one time or another, even if you don't feel this way tonight, remember this message when you do feel, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not worthy. It's not about that. You may not be worthy to eat, but He's worthy of you to eat because He paid for it. You didn't earn it. He did. Amen. He paid for it all, didn't He? He did it on the cross. Paid for with a great price. And I just wonder tonight, if I've got anybody in this place that's hungry, would you raise your hand? When you do that, would you raise your other hand and just thank Him for the bread that's been made available to you? Jesus said that He was the bread. Amen. He came to be born and to live and to die and to live again. Amen. So that you could be fed. He shall eat the bread of His God. It's for you tonight. Do I got anybody tonight that will join me in this altar? Tonight's the last night of revival. It's the last night of this series of services. It doesn't have to be the last night of revival. How about that? This could be a beginning of a revival in this church. Praise the Lord. Anybody that's hungry, anybody that needs a little more than what they have, would you join me in these altars, church? Let's pray tonight, safe haven. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, you'll be filled. Praise the Lord.